Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, from my Warwick home on a lovely Friday morning. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by my co-conspirator, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishi and Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? It's March, baby. He knows, folks. March. He knows. Mm-hmm. March is here. It came fast. It came really, really fast, pal. I, I can't believe how quickly this season has gone by. It's amazing. It feels like we say that every time we reach this point in the college basketball season, but but it is true. The first four or five months just go by in a blur. Um, and here we are at the business end of 2023-24. We've made it. Congratulations to everyone who's made it to this point. Congratulations to folks who support teams who have made it to this point playing relevant games. Um, you know, we are at uh, a critical juncture for some uh, NCAA tournament berths up for up for grabs, conference tournament berths up for grabs, uh, conference tournament home games up for grabs in, in some situations. Um, we're going to get into the, the critical postseason issues. Um, and with that qualifier, I would say that some of you, URI men, URI women, Providence women, you're going to be out of the show. Uh, because you are in your respective conference tournament fields. We're not necessarily sure who you're going to play. That, that'll that be revealed later next week. Uh, none of you are, are up for an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. Uh, none of you will play conference tournament games at home. Um, you know, and so the other five programs for now, uh, at the very least, I think are you know, more pressing storylines. Uh, you know, so we will take a a more in-depth look at, at them. Uh, we'll be back at some point next week in the midweek uh, to get into some conference tournament stuff with the Providence women and the URI women who will be starting. Uh, I think it's next week, right? Big East tournament. Next week. Yeah, the uh, the Big East is, I believe it's starting Friday morning. And the A-10 tournament's March 6th. Yep. Which is next week. Yep. Which is next week. I can't believe it. It's I just I can't believe it. Oh boy, my Here. boss still needs an email from me with the, the solid plan. So that's on my agenda today. <laughs> oh, the travel, the travel detail. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I told I told him I told him out loud and I spoke it into existence, but now he's like, Can you write it down for me? And I haven't had the chance to actually write it down. So I'll do that at some point. Yeah, I've uh, booked my hotel for Manhattan uh and Coit. We could be seeing four teams in Manhattan here, the way this is going. Oh, it's be boy. interesting. Yeah. It's be interesting. We talked about this for months, this scenario about how the URI men, Providence men, the Brown men, and the Brown women could all be playing on the same weekend in the five boroughs. Could happen. Could happen. We'll see. Could happen. That's great. Yep. 
Um, we'll start with the Friars men because they are the only team out of the eight who still have an at-large chance to the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it is not as robust as maybe Friar fans would be comfortable with. Um, it is thin. They are at the back end of the field of 68. They would receive one of the final at-large bids uh, as we sit here today. But the fact of the matter is Providence is still alive as they go into the Saturday tip with Villanova at noon at the Amp. Uh, Coit, this feels like an elimination game in in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, with respect to that back end, one of those last four or five at-large bids into the NCAA field, Providence and Villanova both desperate at this point. Um, you know, both sort of similar circumstances, uh, you know, with respect to how important this game is for both of them. The Friars coming off a midweek loss at Marquette, 91-69, a game that they were never in. Uh, the Golden Eagles just blitzed them from the start. Uh, really, the only downside on the night for Marquette was Tyler Kolick injuring an oblique. We'll, we'll see how serious that is going forward. Um, you know, obviously, they're looking to make a deep tournament run as a high seed and can't afford to lose that guy. But, you know, in Providence's case, uh, would have been a really nice feather if they had swept Marquette this season. Uh, you felt like that and avoiding a disaster at Georgetown next week would have been enough to push them in the NCAA tournament. Wasn't to be the other night the Friars are left waiting uh, for their next opportunity, which comes on Saturday. It really is. This is a playing game. This, to me, feels like a playing game. Felt like you were going to have to win the, the Villanova game. You know, looking at it, last you know couple of weeks, we looked at it and said, okay, well, last four games on the schedule here. Marquette's going to be tough. You get the Marquette game on the road or you get the UConn game at home and you've really solidified yourself. But realistically, you look at it and you say, okay, realistically, do we win those games? Probably not. But the the real big opportunity is going to be at home against Villanova. Have to avoid the landmine in D.C. And you go two and two down the stretch, go to New York, win a game, and you feel comfortable that you're going to be in the bracket. Uh, so things are kind of playing out the way that you thought. This is a huge one, though. And, and I think Villanova has played this into a play-in game because of the way that they've played the last couple of weeks, earning some some good wins that have propelled them to this point, beating Seton Hall, uh, beating Butler, which Butler is kind of faded here. Villanova is kind of where we thought Butler was a couple of weeks ago. And so this is it's it's huge. And I'm sure Kim English and his team are looking at the performance they had at Villanova and saying, like to play better. Uh, they want to bounce back, obviously, from what happened to Marquette. They'd like to play better. So motivation is there to come out, play a lot better at home. But really, this is this is a play-in game. This is huge. So uh, having the home crowd on your side, being at home on Saturday, that's a huge advantage for you. So if you're able to get this victory, it sort of keeps them on track and keeps them comfortably where they'd like to be. And if, if they make the NCAA tournament field, BK, it's it's a huge story. It really is. The fact that they are able to do this, I'll keep saying it, they lose their, their best player in early March to a, a terrible injury, and here the Friars are. Uh, they've, they've really made this into a, a heck of a run. So if they're able to finish the job here the next couple weeks, get into the NCAA tournament, I, I think it's a, a great story. You feel good about it, you know, especially with it being the first year of a new head coach and the way that this team has responded, come around, played well. 
you know, so we'll see if they can finish it off. But this is a big one. This is a big one. And you know that Kim English and the staff are saying the same thing. Yeah, no question about it. I, I mean, it, just for in program terms, the, the ramifications of making the NCAA tournament this year were, were always going to be huge. Um, because it would say that Providence is more than just one special coach. It is a program that expects to be in the NCAA tournament regardless of who is in charge. And Bingo. that is no small step to take. Um, you know, I always draw the example in the A-10 with VCU. Um, VCU's last five head coaches have all made the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, that goes all the way back to Jeff Capel when when he was in Richmond. Uh, you know, you look at what followed. Jeff Capel, Anthony Grant, Shock Smart, Will Wade, uh, Mike Rhodes. You know, they all made the NCAA tournament. They all got hired away to bigger jobs. You know, so VCU is a place that you want to coach. You can win. You have resources. You have a great area to recruit. You're going to get paid. Um, you know, and ultimately you're going to be successful. Could Providence be that type of place going forward? Question was, you know, whether or not Kim English was going to be able to continue what Ed Cooley helped build here. Um, you know, Tim Welsh was in and out of the NCAA tournament in a monstrous version of the Big East that had football schools. It was a much more difficult conference at that point. Um, you know, but if you go back in, in terms of annual participation in this thing, you know, Ed Cooley got Providence to dance more frequently than, than any other coach that they'd had, uh, you know, going back to the 70s. Um, you know, so they they as an institution, as a program, as an administration had raised the bar so much. You, you wanted to see whether or not it could continue. And I think it's a major statement if you're able to. I, I think it says a lot to the people you're recruiting, um, you know, whether it's prep players or, or out of the transfer portal. Hey, look, this is a place that you're going to be in March every year. Uh, you have a chance to develop into a first-round pick in the NBA draft like Devin Carter might be every year. Um, you know, th this this is somewhere you want to stake your future. Uh, you know, so I, I, I always felt like this year was critical for them in that way. Uh, you know, and obviously with without Bryce Hopkins to still be doing this, to still be in the conversation is is a major feather uh, for Kim English and his staff. Uh, I would say that the the one concern I have without Hopkins, and, and it's played itself out here, uh, Providence had 14 games with Bryce, uh, and they allowed you know, about 0.9, you know, about 90 points per 100 possessions adjusted on defense. Uh, in the 14 games without Bryce and and – specifically after Marquette the other night where they got sliced and diced at the defensive end. They're allowing about 108 points per 100 possessions uh, without Bryce. You you cannot replace uh, his physicality, his work on the glass, uh, the improvements that he made early this season compared to last year when he was, uh, you know, sort of an average defender. Um, you know, this year he, he was operating a much higher level in Kim English's system um, you're watching ticket games try to guard fours at, at this point. It's having a little more difficulty, and you would expect that because he's a leaner guy who, who's more used to playing on the perimeter, I think. Uh, you know, so I wonder if, if Providence will be able over these last three games and, and into the Big East tournament, if there's an adjustment they can find at that end of the floor uh, because offensively they, they've been fairly consistent 
throughout the year. They're actually two or three points better per hundred without Hopkins. Um, you know, and that that's largely due to what Devin Carter has done. Um, but it, it is interesting. It's going to be interesting to see you know, whether or not they're able to find something or, or if this is just personnel and they're not going to have an answer. No, it's a great point. Yeah, defense and rebounding without Hopkins has been it's been tough. And particularly with this matchup with Villanova, you know, last time out, you know, Nova made a conscious effort to feed Eric Dixon and get him going and use his strength as as a strong point in the game. So I'm interested to see, you know, what you know it all looks like on Saturday and how they sort of game plan things. Um, because that that was a problem. For Providence the last time around. Now, the other problem was the offense was just out of sync last time. I don't expect that to be the case this time around for the Friars. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be a different game, but that was certainly something of concern. But again, I think it speaks to the fact that here they are, Bill. They've been able to overcome that. Everybody's been able to adjust a little bit, um, you know, and sure, ticket gains has, has not, uh, has had to sort of take a lot more on responsibility on the defensive end. But, you know, he's also made plays like the block at, at Xavier, uh, you know, and has been able to step forward. So that's huge. And, you know, going back to your point on on Kim and, and just the importance of this year. Yeah, if you're a recruit, you're looking at this and saying, this is a young coach that played in the NBA that's going to be here for a little while, who's trying to keep this program going. So you're going to have opportunity and... You, you're so right, looking at it and seeing how in the first year of this program, Devin Carter is going to be a first-round NBA draft pick. And the way that he's playing, the way that he's improved, the way that he's led your team, you're looking at it and you're saying, like, well, I can go play for that guy and be like this. Then, yeah, I, I think it's a, a really nice feather in your cap. Not to mention the guys that came along with Kim and the staff from Mason who have played really, really well. If you're a big and you see how Josh Duro has handled himself and played this year, you're looking at it and saying, you know, wow, they've they've really helped him along to play really, really well on the Big East. So Duro has been one of the best bigs in the Big East this year, yeah. particularly the second time around. Yeah, he has really I mean, the nights that he has had against Kalkbrenner, who has been the defensive player of the year and clinging and like it's it's been really really impressive so um yeah it's been a really nice feather in the cap even if they don't make the tournament i think you're looking at this and saying this has been a it's not been the the journey that they probably thought they would be on but providence has had a really really nice year and so i i hope they do complete the story there and, and get to the ncaa tournament because um obviously it would it would really uh complete things well in terms of projecting the field, we we go to Bracket Matrix. Uh, their most recent update: Providence is the second to last team in. Um, you know, the one spot ahead of Gonzaga at the bottom end of the field. Um, Villanova is the second team left out. They're behind Colorado. Uh, you know, the 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 mythical seventieth team, I guess you could say, uh, in a field of sixty eight. Uh, you look at Providence's resume. Um, yes, five and seven against quadrant one, five quality wins there. Uh, they don't have a bad loss. Um, the weak points in their resume, uh, you look at the top two quadrants, they're three and eight road and neutral, um, non-conference strength, the schedule 248. 
you know, so those two things are are warts, and and those two things will be uh, a couple of dings from the selection committee. Um, you know, so what Providence needs to do is add a couple more quality wins to to cancel those out. Villanova would be one at home. Um, you know, certainly strong quadrant two game. You would think. Uh, you know, in terms of of uh, going forward, Georgetown obviously doesn't doesn't really rank uh, in in any meaningful way. If you could beat UConn, that would be a huge boost. Certainly, yep. Uh, yep. You go to the Big East tournament. If you're a six or a seven seed, you're going to play Georgetown or, or DePaul first game. You just can't lose it. You're playing schedule defense at that point. Your yeah. second game in New York would give you a chance to add most likely a top 50 neutral court win, which would be quadrant one. If you do that, you're, you're way in the field. You're, you're not just you're not just an at-large. You're completely avoiding Dayton at that point. Yeah, You're probably correct. pushing up on the 10-seed line. Uh, you know, you win two games in New York. Somehow you make it into a, a, a final. You know, you could be the last nine seed at that point, depending yeah. on what happens elsewhere. But it all starts on Saturday uh, with the visit from the Wildcats. Depending on your uh, betting service of, of choice, this is going to be a one-point game one way or the other. Ken Palm has it a one-point game. Uh, Providence, a, a coin flip favorite at home. Um It'll be fascinating, Coy. So uh, I I was kind of scrolling through Twitter probably a few days ago. It was before the Marquette game. And um, I don't know who runs the account, but it's uh, NKY Bracket Guy. And I here it is. He put out a tweet with a graphic that basically had Team A, Team B, TC, Team D, Team E, TF. And it was blind resume. He's like, you got to pick three to go in. You got to pick three to go out. And I was just like, okay, I'm not going to look up who it is yet. I'm going to look at this and say, who's got the the best blind resume? Yep. And ironically, uh, and I, this is, I promise, swear, honor. I'm, I'm doing the Star Trek thing. Let's with get my the hand. Vulcan hand going, folks. He's Vulcan got the hand, Vulcan hand you. in my screen. I looked at it and I said, I think the best resume on this is Team C. And Team C had five quad one wins, had 10 and 0 against quadrant three and four. Um, you know, the resume average was probably the strongest. I thought Team A on here had five quad one wins. That was probably the second strongest. Just having two quad three, four losses probably dinged them a little bit. And if I'm not mistaken, Team C was Providence, had the strongest Correct. resume out of the six that were here. Team A was Seton Hall, so go figure. And then the other teams were New Mexico, A&M, Colorado, and Ole Miss. And I was like, well, this all makes total sense. Team E in particular was Colorado. I, I don't love their resume at all. They got one quad one win. I, it, I don't like the resume at all. Right. And I said, again, I said this just looking at it blindly. Because it was just a, it was a fun exercise. I'm glad somebody put out something like that because I was like, all right, this kind of backs up what I was thinking, which is I feel like Providence is not getting enough credit for its resume. And I would say the same thing about Seton Hall because I think Seton Hall has a pretty strong resume, too. So, you know, what can you do to back it up to make sure there is no doubt? Win important games. 
Saturday is an important game. It's, again, basically a play-in game here. And you were talking about where the teams are on the bubble. If Villanova were to come in here and win, you probably flip-flop those teams as to where they're standing right now with the tournament and Providence would have some work to do. So, yeah, basically it was just it was an interesting exercise and I wanted to bring it up because I'm like, that's that's fun. That's fun to look at and it backs you up onto as to what you were thinking. Seton Hall has basically the same thing. Uh, two thirty six non-conference strength schedule, three and six road and neutral against the top two quadrants. They have two quadrant three losses. They also have two more biggies wins than Providence balancing off those quadrant three losses. So they're essentially the same thing. Uh, Seton right. Hall's a little bit above Providence in, Bratric, in uh, bracket matrix. Colorado's the first team out of the field, uh, just above Villanova. They're the 69th I just don't like their resume. I'm like, who have you beaten? I get it. Especially compared to those two schools and, and conference is conference, whatever. I just one quad one win. It's just not it's not strong enough to me. There's other teams that I think are have are better set up. Just me. Well, Sorry, Colorado. <laughs> no, no. A, a, a lot of times you will you will default. I, I mean, Colorado has warts here. Certainly. Um, yeah. You know, similar thing. You know, two in. Uh, let's see, three and five. No, sorry. Even worse. Two and seven. This is why you shouldn't do math on the fly. <laughs> and seven, four and seven. Yeah. Four and eight road and neutral against the top two quadrants. Two forty-seven non-conference strength schedule. Uh, their only quad one win was at Washington, and they're sixty-seven in the net. Um, you know, similar. Eleven and zero against the bottom two quadrants. They don't have any bad losses. They're seven and four against quadrant two. So they've, you know, eight. Eight and nine against the top two quadrants. I guess that's where you get a lot of their push from. Um, yeah. you know, but a lot of those are second tier wins. And and you would think the selection committee wants to see who you've beaten, not just in quadrant one, but other teams in the field. Um, you know, they put emphasis on on those two things. That's why a lot of times you you'll see a team who's 17 and 15 in a power conference and they go 10 and 8, and it's like, why are you letting them in? They're mediocre. And you point, and you're going to see this out of the Big 12 this year. Who's going to get eight or nine bids? Uh, right. You're going to have a team out of the Big 12 who has a, a, you know, from the outside, a mediocre conference record, something around 500. But you're going to look at their wins over the course of the year, and you're going to say, "Well, wow, they beat Kansas and they beat Iowa State, um, you know, and they beat Houston." Like those are going to be three of the top 10, 12 teams in the whole field. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. The committee generally will default to who you've beaten, the strength of your best wins. Uh, you know, they will take those over just about anything. Uh, you know, and in Providence's case, they are helped by their five quadrant one wins and and by, you know, ultimately what's going to be their record in the Big East. And I just hope that, you know, they also look at, I think it's easy to look at. I don't think you have to go too deep to look at Providence's resume and say, well, we all know Providence lost its best player in early January, early in conference play. They had quad one wins, strong wins before that. They have quad one wins, strong wins after that. Their resume is pretty well balanced in terms of the year and how it played out. They didn't totally fade after Bryce Hopkins went down. They continued to play well. They got strong wins. 
they have continued to build a resume. So, you know, again, that's a little maybe deeper uh, for the committee that's considering a lot of things. But if you look at Providence and the season that it's been, I think they make a a really strong case. And the field is better with teams like Providence and Seton Hall in there because they have an opportunity to make runs and they can beat these bigger teams because they play in a bigger conference that has had a lot of teams competing this year for the NCAA tournament. So fascinating year for the Big East and where it's at because there's been a lot of teams on and off the bubble right there in the mix. Obviously, your your top three are very, very good teams, going to be high seeds, but then everything else in the middle has been very competitive because at times there's been teams you thought were going to get in, St. John's, Butler, and then some of those faded. And now here's Providence, Seton Hall, Villanova. Everybody's kind of had their their good stretches. So, you know, we'll see how it finishes out in March. Yeah, right now UConn's trending to be a one seed. Marquette trending to be a two seed. Creighton uh, among the top four seeds could end up being a three seed if they max this out toward the end of the year. And then there's a big drop uh, to the to the next group that includes Providence, Villanova, um, St. John's. Butler, Seton Hall, uh, you know, even though Seton Hall is only a couple games behind those teams in the conference standings, uh, what they did in the non-conference wasn't anywhere near uh, what UConn, Marquette, Creighton got done. Um, you know, and so you're you're looking at Seton Hall sort of having to sweat it out a little bit more than than maybe your typical 11 and 6 team in the Big East would uh, as we turn to March. But quite <sighs> – that's what makes it fascinating, this sort of discussion as we head to the tournament. Um, you know, and it's great to have one team who who is part of that discussion. Makes a lot more interesting around here for sure. Um, I think our next stop, Coit, we will stay in the capital city uh, and we will go to a big weekend coming up on the east side for the Brown men and women. Um, Coit, this is fascinating. Brown was awarded... Uh, Ivy Madness for next season, 2024-25. That will be at the Pizzatola Center, uh, the Ivy League tournament for the right to represent the league in the NCAA tournament on both the men's and women's side. We're going to get a little preview here, I think. These games these, this weekend coming up for Browns men and women are going to feel like you know sort of a, a, a smaller version of Ivy Madness uh, in the next year. Uh, the Bears men could clinch the fourth spot in the league standings, clinch their first berth to Ivy Madness if, if they take care of their business and certain other things fall uh, elsewhere in the league. The Bears women could take another major step toward their second appearance in, in Ivy Madness uh, were they to win both games here this weekend. Even if they get a split, they'd still be very much alive with respect to grabbing that fourth spot in the Ivy League. Um, I think the... I understand teams and conferences, they want to be included in the conference tournament. They want everybody to go. They want everyone to have a chance. Um, you know, and it'll be interesting to see how these these mega conferences like the new Big Ten and the new ACC handle this with 18 and 20 teams and whether or not you're going to bring them all to one location. I don't think you will. You'll probably cut the field to 16 or 12 or whatever it is. And that creates some intrigue throughout the regular season. You see it in the Ivy League every year where they only take four to the conference tournament. It's four out of eight. And making that field is an achievement unto itself. Uh, Brown is positioned here on both the men's and women's side to do so. And it's going to bring the drama 
to Pizzatola Center this weekend. It's way better. It's way better like this. This is great. This is basically for the men tonight. This is like a play-in game, I think. It's a playoff game. It is. You win this game tonight, and you take care of business against Dartmouth Saturday. I think you're in. You know, I, I, I'm not going to try to do the math, but you, you're basically, you have the, the lead track in. I, I just made that mistake on the pod, as everyone Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Rewind 90 do seconds. It. Don't do math in nope. real time. Bad but idea. It, I, mean, I mean, this is huge. You, you see where they're at in the standings, and... You know, I, I think I you couldn't ask for a better scenario if you're the brown men. Um, and it's just so funny how how this this sport works, how seasons work. Because overall, the last two, three seasons, I think, have been better for Brown, and yet they have not made Ivy Madness. It it has eluded them. And this year has been a lot more of a rocky ride. Uh, this team has had to figure a lot of things out. But here it is, a chance to try to play its way in to Ivy Madness. And if this team is able to get into Ivy Madness, Bill, it's not like they're getting in and it's gonna they're going to be happy to be there. They just beat Cornell on the road. You know, you get the four seed and Cornell stays up top and, and Brown continues to play well down the stretch. I, I don't know if I'd want to see Brown in the tournament. Like that, that's they have really figured some things out here. And that's huge. So, you know, it's all about momentum and how you're playing toward the end of the year. You want to peak. And, you know, the fact that Mike Martin and his his staff have helped to turn things around the last couple weekends, you know, that's huge. It's why they play out seasons. It's why they play the game. You know, Mike believed in in the fact that this team would come around at some point. They played in a lot of close games. They just weren't able to, you know, finish things off at times. Um, you know, I think the low point, as he mentioned to us, uh, on Thursday was at home against Columbia. Just didn't feel like it was probably one of the most you know poor efforts of their season. They responded by going three and one the last two weekends, and obviously coming off that big win at Cornell. So it's just funny how things work. Uh, but they've they've figured things out. They've made some changes, and now they put themselves in prime position here this weekend. And for the women, obviously tonight's a tall task. You're hosting Columbia. Um, Columbia's really, really good. Um, you know, but you never know. We'll see. And I, I think Saturday's a, uh, a really big one to try to keep yourself in the mix as well with Cornell. So, you know, but all you can ask for, for Monique and her staff, I, I just, we looked at it and said, boy, if they could get this team to Ivy madness, that, that would be a, a heck of an accomplishment for the trajectory of what they're trying to, you know, make this program into, Still, still, I'd say young and up and coming with most of the roster. So, this is an exciting weekend. This is this is great for the school, great for the programs, and um, you're right. It is a preview as to what we'll see next year with Ivy Madness coming here, which will be fun. All right, so we'll start with the men's side. Uh, Brown men hosting Harvard Friday night, seven o'clock at the Pits. Uh, they will host Dartmouth on Saturday. I think that's a six p.m. tip at yep. the Pits. Uh, second half of double headers at the Pistol Center. So. Those start times could vary by 10, 15 minutes, whatever it may be. Um, the Ivy League, three teams for one spot, that fourth spot. Brown, Columbia, and Penn are all still alive. Uh, sorry. Brown, Harvard, Columbia, all still alive for it. Brown and Harvard, both five and six. Columbia, four and seven. Princeton, Yale, Cornell, all nine and two. They've all clinched their spots in Ivy Madness. They cannot be caught. 
they're playing for seeding at this point over the last three games of the regular season. Brown has a win over Harvard earlier this year. Uh, even though the Bears were struggling, they managed to win at the Crimson 74-72 at Levites Pavilion, Coy. Levites. Yes, Levites. Yes. Um, yes. Brown has also gotten a season split with Columbia. Uh, they won at the Lions last weekend. That was important after losing at home to Columbia. That gives you at least a chance in a tie-breaking scenario. Um, you know, had you been swept by Columbia and had them head to head, you would have been out. Um, you know, Brown, as you mentioned, they were two and five at one point. They'd been run out of their own gym by Columbia by 14 points. Uh, and they're facing a stretch of four road games and some tough ones going to Princeton, going to Penn at Columbia, who had just beaten you badly. And then at Cornell, who hadn't lost a home game in the league. Uh, to come out of that at three and one, and and more importantly, to make the substantive changes that they did at the point in the season where they did, um, staff took a big risk. They they did. They took a big risk. You drop two members of your starting lineup. Aaron Cooley's coming off the bench. Felix Cloman is essentially out of the rotation at this point. You bring in Lindell Errold and AJ Lespert. Uh, you give a little bit more prominent role to Kimo Ferrari. He starts to play more minutes. I, I guess he's feeling healthier with his back. Um, you know, you you start to play differently. You look different in your rotation, and and it works. And it, it's really interesting. You know, I asked Mike this in, in our media availability Thursday, but staffs know their players. They know their roster, their teams a lot better than we do from the outside. Um yeah. You know, they know whether or not certain players will respond to, to certain things. And these are discussions that they have throughout the course of a season. Should we try this? Should we try that? Should this guy play more? Should this guy play less? But to actually go to that, you know, when you're already at the halfway point of your Ivy League schedule, you're, you're 20 plus games into the year, to actually go to it at that point and have it work suggests to me that they had buy-in from the roster all along. Suggests to me that, that their culture... No, they weren't winning on the floor, and some nights it didn't look like they were all invested and, and didn't really play well. That ultimately, when it came right down to their core, they were in the right place. You don't respond like this if you're not in the right place, if you don't believe in your coaching staff. It would have been very easy for these guys to mail it in at 2-5 and five and say, this isn't the year we were expecting to have. Let's just fade away and let Harvard and Columbia and Penn fight it out for the last spot. We don't really care. It's over. Instead, you're right here with a chance. Uh, and ultimately, if you beat Harvard, you're really putting yourself in the driver's seat for that fourth spot. Well, and it would have been easy for, you know, the changes to be made and players to be like, well, what the heck is this? You know, why why are you making this? Why are you doing this now? Why are you cutting my minutes? Why are you doing this? Whatever. Not the case. Not the case. And I think that that speaks to the team and the players looking at it and saying, no, we, we we do we understand that changes need to be made. We're two and five in the Ivy League. We need we need to do something. You know, something needs to to happen. And clearly something has has changed, as you as you mentioned, some of the changes that they made. Um I, I thought offensively all along bringing in AJ Lesbert and, and giving him some minutes was going to help. Um, you know, because we saw that flash uh, in the Bahamas at a twenty point game. And, you know, has he has he had another 20 point game? No. But is he adding offense to a team that behind Keno Lilly Jr. and Nano Usuanani 
could use some more offense. Yeah, you can see that. And he's playing. And I think it it looks better, too. It looks good when he's on the floor. Yeah, spacing they, at they, the very they, least. Spacing. You totally. Have to honor him. You have to honor totally. him as a three-point shooter. And and Lindell Errold is, you, you could tell, is defensively he helps. Defensively, that's the thinking that Mike and, and the staff have. Um, and now... Now it it's sort of okay. So Aaron Cooley's not starting, but now he can be a spark off the bench. Now he can be a guy that can hit some shots for you off the bench, make some defensive plays off the bench. He had a big block on the road last weekend. Like it's right. And then and then you know you I think the the thing with Kimo Ferrari is you're giving him more minutes, but he's one of those guys right now that has is as Mike said on Thursday. A senior playing like he's got only a few games left. He's a finish line. That's right. So something it it is it's that's the only way you could explain it it's yeah. not the first time we've ever seen it it won't be the last time you love that kind of ever he's always given that kind of effort but you just feel like the dial is even even a little bit turned up more because yeah he knows that he's only got a few games left and um you know if you ever get to talk to chemo he's a tremendous kid tremendous kid so i'm i'm happy to see that out of him um you know so yeah, all these changes have have worked, and you know, good for the staff for for doing it, for handling it the right way. Good for the players for handling it the right way. Particularly a guy like Cloman, who is sort of the odd man out in this scenario. Um, the the team has responded as a whole, and good for them. They needed they needed to do something, and they did. And honestly, it could have been a four and zero couple of weeks. Because they had the lead of Princeton in the second half. Right away in that game, you looked at it and said, oh, all right, something's working here. This is this is good. You get three wins after that, but still, you know, it, it, was, it was right there. You're competing with the best in the league now. And so whatever they did, they're going to keep it up. Yeah, so looking at the other teams who are in the mix here, uh, Harvard. You know, Harvard is here. Harvard at five and six. Harvard still has to go to Yale, as does Brown. Columbia still has to go to Princeton. Yep. So those are games that you figure uh, on paper, certainly, that those two teams are going to lose. If Columbia gets to that point where they lose one more game, you know, they'll be an eight-loss team. If Bryant goes 2-1, and one, they'd lock Columbia out. Yep. They beat Harvard. They beat Dartmouth head-to-head. They go 2-1. and one. Harvard goes 2-1. and one. Brown has a season sweep over Harvard. Brown gets the spot. Yep. So this weekend is it. You win these two games this weekend. You're in. You're set up. Yep, you're in. You're going to get some help from somewhere else. You're going to be in the field. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in the field. Friday night is is essentially a postseason game for the Bears uh, against Harvard. 7 p.m. tip. Uh, ESPN Plus? Nesson? ESPN ESPN plus. ESPN plus. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. But it'll be fun. That's good. Tune in. Buy the app. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> you know, if you're starting Friday a little earlier, tune into the Brown Women. Yep. Uh, because Brown Women tip at four against Columbia. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Columbia is in that trio with Princeton and Harvard who've separated themselves from the field. Uh, similar to the men's side. Three teams for one spot. Brown, Penn, Yale. 
Brown and Penn both five and six. Yale four and seven. Uh, Brown plays their last three games at home. They are Columbia, Cornell, who's one and ten. They play them Saturday, uh, and then Yale next weekend um, in a game that ultimately could decide this. We'll we'll see how it shakes out. Um, you know, for the Brown women, the encouraging thing here is yes, you play Columbia. Penn has two tough games left, Harvard and Princeton. Uh, so those two teams could help you out. If Brown goes two and one, realistically, Penn is looking at one and two here. Um, and if Brown beats Yale head to head, they would lock them out. They would sweep Yale. They beat them on the road earlier this season. So the Brown women also in a favorable place in terms of schedule, in terms of tiebreakers here. Um, and in terms of the fact that they're playing three games at home, Coit, and those other teams have to go on the road. Um, you know, it is a great opportunity for them. Uh, they started off four and one. They lost four in a row. The win at against Penn at home was huge. You earn a season split. You sort of snap out of that. Kyla Jones beats the buzzer with a layup. You win 61-59. Last weekend, you go to Harvard. You lose by seven. It was a game where you really competed. You played hard. You were in it all the way until the end. You just couldn't get it done. There's no shame in that. Everyone goes to Harvard and loses just like going to Princeton or Columbia and they lose. It it happens. Um, you know, but Brown is playing better. Uh, you know, and and the schedule turns and it's difficult and you're playing the teams ahead of you and you're playing them on the road and it's hard. And I know one of those games at Columbia, they gave up 90 points. That's not who they've been. The fact that they've been better defensively these last couple of games, they've been more competitive uh, these last couple of games against Princeton, and then against Penn, and then at Harvard, you know, Princeton at home, they lost, but they were in that game. Um, I think they've sort of turned the corner and gotten back to who they were at the start of the season. Totally. It's, it's the team that we saw early on that was beating Big East teams. That, that was a calling card early on for this team in non-conference play, and it's why we looked at this squad and said, okay, this is interesting. They can play pretty good defense. There's a buy-in there. They're grindy, they're gritty, and you know, I, I think that that showed up early on. You know, it it happens. You know, you can sort of lose your way, particularly if you, you know, play teams like Columbia, Princeton, who are really, really good, uh, difficult opponents, even in your own league. So, you know, to get back on track, that's huge. And yeah, I think, you know, I think Friday's a tall task, but you want to show well, take your best shot, you play the games for a reason. Um, the Cornell game will be, you know, I think huge on Saturday. You got to get that win and then go, you know, if, like you said, go two and one here, the last three, you feel good next weekend will be a huge game. It just feels like, it feels like it may come down to that for the reasons that you listed. And so, yeah, we'll see. And Hey, if you win Friday, you know, you sort of flip things on, on their head. Uh, so Ben, you never know, like I said. They play the games for a reason. But the fact that the Brown women are here, would you say it's ahead of schedule for them being in contention for Ivy Madness here this year, the way that they have? I don't know. It's it, maybe. I mean, look, you play the game again. You play out a season. You never know how things can play out, how teams are going to do. And I thought we, we thought that they would they would flirt with you know, getting to Ivy Madness this year, I think early on talking about this team, but to get there, you know, 
particularly with a lot of younger players. Yes, Kyla Jones is an older player, but you know we're talking about and thinking about Arnley, Moreland, players like that that you know still on the younger side have years ahead of them. We thought they would probably peak maybe next year, maybe the the following year uh, to get there this year. I think maybe maybe a slight bit ahead of schedule. I mean, I'll go by what the coach thought preseason. They picked round sixth. Yeah. So realistically, they didn't think Brown would be an Ivy Madness. Yep. Um, you know, now, as I wrote earlier this week for the journal, I, I was talking about the URI women. Preseason predictions aren't worth the paper that they're put on. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always amused by fans who, who get all, you know, bent out of shape about, oh, why would we pick seventh? We're going to pick, we're going to finish at least third. You know, it's like, who cares? Yeah, right. Who cares? It's just talking points. It's just hype. Yeah, right. All it is. Exactly. Yeah, the only the only standings or predictions or or you know whatever else that matters is postseason. Yeah. How did the games play out? How did the players play over the course of the year? You know, I I, I always enjoy the this guy you know or, or or this woman should have been a preseason conference player of the year or should have been preseason all conference first team or whatever else. Who cares? Preseason does not matter. Does no. not matter. And. Yeah, the Ivy League is a little bit insulated from this, of course, but you know, elsewhere certainly with the transfer portal now, please. Good luck trying to predict how these teams are going to come together. Ridiculous. It's a fool's errand. Yes. Um, you know, in the Ivy League, would you have expected Kyla Jones to have this kind of year? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, she's been absolutely. one of the she's been one of the top ten players in the league easily. Yeah. Uh, you know, Grace Arnley, yeah, you know, we Talked about her enough on this pod. Certainly, we both think she's special going yep. forward. Um, you know, someone like Alyssa Moreland, who, who's dealt with some injury and some illness, second half of the Ivy League schedule, but earlier on in the non-conference, she was breaking out as a front court player. Yep. Um, you know, they they've got some nice pieces here. Uh, you know, and I think to your point earlier, and and you said it, and you're right. Monique's got them bought in in terms of how they play defense, totally. in terms of how they play together, uh, in terms of their competitiveness, I, I think, just their overall competitiveness. Um, you know, and I've used this line in this pod before, but Monique LeBlanc's a serious person. You don't win 20 games at Merrimack if you're not a serious person. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, yeah. you just don't. That is yeah. not an easy place to coach. It's not an easy place to recruit to. That's not an easy league based on what you're scheduling in the non-conference, how many times you're being bought. Yeah, you don't want to go play hoops in North Andover. <laughs> exactly. You, I mean, to you're a 20-game winner at Merrimack. You're doing something. You've, you've got something figured out in terms of X's and O's, in terms of building a culture, and, and she certainly does. Um, you know, we've seen that throughout this season. You, you alluded to it. I mean, they've got wins over Providence, over Georgetown, um, you know, they, they're winning games in the league, uh, you know, playing competitively all the way to the end of the league season. Really impressive. She's done a great job. They've done a great job to get to this point. Um, it, it would be fascinating, Coit, if they were able to trip Cornell, uh, Columbia on Friday. Yeah, be fascinating. I mean, you, oh my goodness, you basically have a free roll of dice your last two games just to win one of them. Yeah. That'd and be huge. You'd essentially, be in. Yeah, I uh, will. We'll see. We'll see. 
Um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, no, no matter how it plays out, you love where this program is going um, because next year, so you'll, you'll lose Kyla Jones to graduation, but you're still going to have Bella Mauricio, who's a junior right now. Um, you know, even some of the freshmen that they brought in, like Olivia Young, like yep. this is, this is a really a program that is, that is healthy, that has a lot of good young talent that has developed, uh, Anamakwe is another sophomore that has come along, gotten more minutes, yeah. has really developed. Um, yeah, really, I've been impressed with the forward group, um, you know, and and the way that it has stepped forward here, uh, the younger players. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, we'll see. They will take their shot this weekend. Um, but no matter how it ends, this has been a, you know, a, a really good year, and and in particular, just the direction and the arrow pointing up for this program. Yeah, really good. Uh, as we said, two doubleheaders at the Pistol Center. They start at four on Friday and at three on Saturday. Um, it should be fascinating. I know uh, the crowd, at the very least on Friday, could be augmented by the Brown football team. Uh, Mike Martin alluded to that in his Thursday oh, media availability. Uh, James Perry offering some attendance incentives. Did, did we hear that right? Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, baby. I mean, it's it's not it's not hard to get those guys out for a rowdy time. You can you can tell every time they've showed up. You know, it's I just love turning around and seeing the uh, seeing some of the kids that we've we've covered for years that are, you know, I'm I'm thinking the guy that I'm thinking that's going to be front and center that has his voice heard is Nate Lucier. He's always there in the middle of it. Kid that we covered at LaSalle Academy, former LaSalle great. Yep. It's just so funny. I'll turn around, see him getting rowdy, getting on the officials, getting on the other team, whatever. And then in the middle of it, he'll just say, "Hi, Mister Coit." <laughs> right. I'm like Nate, you don't have to call me Mister Coit. Number one, number two. Nice to see you, pal. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> number so three. Be in the- number three. Put your shirt back on, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Come on, man. It's a, it's a good that warm group, in here. It's a really good group. So and and they always they always doesn't matter when, where, what sport, Brown Harvard games are always well attended. It's always thing. well attended. It's a thing. It's a thing. It is. So I, I expect a really, really good crowd. Yeah, I've gone to uh you know multiple Brown football games at Harvard. Uh, yeah. and, and the Bears travel to them for whatever reason. Yep. I, I don't know if it's because they have a fair share of alumni who live in Boston. I don't know if it's proximity, um, you know, if they have a lot of mass natives who went to Brown and, and then ultimately went back home and got a job. I no idea. Um, but for whatever reason, you're right. That that always seemed like, uh, you know, a game football wise specifically, but basketball at the Pistola as well that that draws. It, it's interesting. For sure. Yep. Um, you know, so it'll be fascinating to see that scene, as we said off the top, a, a little bit of a preview for Ivy Madness next year, uh, which will be great. Um, you know, we're very much looking forward to that, but a lot of water to go under the bridge before that one, Coy. Amen. Um, we'll go to Smithfield next. Uh, and Coy, let's start with the Bryant women, um, because I was at that one last night. Uh, I saw your compadre Ian Steele at that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bryant women clinching a home quarterfinal game 
in the America East tournament, 60-51 over UMass Lowell. Um, they've won five of their last six. They're eight and seven in the league. They have locked out Binghamton, courtesy of a season sweep of the Bearcats. They will be the number four seed in this tournament. Um, and I think if I go to the standings here, uh, they will host Binghamton in a first round game. Uh, I think that's on Friday. Time to be determined at the chase. Um, but Coy, I, I think this is more about what Bryant has done in this first year under Lynn and Kukoski. Um, The fact that they're 15 and 13 overall, they're eight and seven in the league. They'll finish no worse than 500 in the league or overall um, team that they basically had to throw together in March. Uh, they've got first year players in their rotation, making major contributions here. Um, you know, the fact that they've managed to beat Vermont, who was a preseason favorite in the league uh, here in this stretch run, um, you know, beat them last weekend at home. And and that's really the, the first chip that they've taken out of uh, the contenders at the top. Albany and Maine will play for a conference title this weekend. The winner of that game will be the one seed. The loser will drop to the two. Vermont is the three and Bryant is the four. Uh, Bryant's been competitive with Albany at home. Um, you know, Maine, they've had a little more difficult with in, in a little more difficulty with in the two meetings, but competitive with Albany at home. They obviously split with Vermont. They got blown out at the Catamounts. The fact that they beat them at home, turned it around, and, and were able to get a split in that series, impressive in terms of their growth. I, I just think that, you know, Bryant hosting a, a game, being one of the top four teams in Lynn Ann's first year, uh, it's a major statement in, in my mind in terms of where she can take that program. Again, young talent. I think young talent has really helped this team this year. Yes, Mariona Planis Fortuny is a veteran player who bought in right away, who, as we've talked about, because she's played so well and bought in right away, has helped the future direction of this program. But buying in this season, she stood out along with the younger players that you brought in that have been a huge contributor. You're going to have the rookie of... If I'm going to be a fortune teller and tell you right now that the rookie of the year in America East will be Mia Mancini. Wow, mind blown. Wow, that's a surprise. She's <laughs> going to be the rookie of the year because of the way that she's played and has stepped in right away and become an impact player for this program and in the league. Yeah. Um, a couple weeks ago, Sylvia Gonzalez was another freshman that was a rookie of the week in America East that, you know, she, she's she's contributing now in your starting five. Like, it's not just me. I mean, they have they have pushed all the right buttons, I think, with, you know, their older players buying in, the younger players coming in and making an immediate impact. And it's why they're going to host a, a quarterfinal game, host a quarterfinal game. That is that is huge. Um, you know, good for Lynn Ann and good for the staff for, you know, constructing the right team in, in a timely fashion. Um, but also, you know, you're seeing the results of it and it's going to continue after this. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to lose Planets Fortuny. That's going to be a tough player to replace. You might. But, oh, you might not. You know, I shouldn't assume things. She does have a COVID year. She does. I can't keep track of it. Well, Neither can I? Thankfully, if she thankfully, in a couple of years, this will all be done. If she does come back, then, then you won't have to replace. Then it'll be pretty good. You've had a good year. You build on it. Um, she, she's going to get some phone calls, Coit. I, I would think. 
probably. Yeah, but okay. whatever. Look, but, however, it, however it goes, the point stands that could Bryant retainer. Yeah, I mean, and whether they do or they don't, you know, you have really set yourself up in year one for yes. things to continue yeah. in the right direction. Um, and so it's it's huge. It's huge for the school, huge for the program. Um, you know, the fact that they're going to be playing a postseason game at home. That's guaranteed. That's that's huge. And also, I'd like to say preseason rankings once again are what they are. What did I say to you preseason? What did I say to you? They picked Vermont to win the league. I'm like, <laughs> no. Here we go. No. I said to <laughs> I said to you, you remember me saying this. I said, Maine, Albany. Why? What are we doing? You, Maine, Maine in particular, because I'm like, they've got two players that could be player of the year in the conference. Simon is very good. You like, were outraged. You were aghast. You were. Well, I was just like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? And hey, look, look how it played out, Bill. Maybe <laughs> I'm not crazy. Gosh. But that's a separate conversation. But I'm just saying, like, again, it speaks to the point. Preseason rankings and polls. They don't mean it. They, they don't. They don't. They don't. We bring them up, but that's just because, hey, here's what people think you on paper. Give our opinions, and then they play the games, and that's what really matters. And they've played the games, and Bryant is in a really good spot, and Maine and Albany are playing for the conference title as we expected. Whether or not Coit's crazy, as we like to say here, that's a different podcast. <laughs> elsewhere for that one. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, Bryant, to to your point, Coit, it, it's not easy to find chemistry. I don't take that for granted. You know, it's certainly yeah. not in your first year, um, and certainly not when you have, you know, fourth year players players who could graduate, take a COVID year, transfer, whatever, who could just look at a new coaching staff and say, yeah, I'm all set. I'm good. I'm just going to get my degree and and that's enough. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, Plotus Fortuny and, and Kamari Reynolds and Lucy Castagna could have just said, yeah, you know, she's crazy. Why is she coaching us like this? Why is she trying to, you know, it, I'm, I'm good. We're good. We're just going to go. And I thought it was noteworthy in the postgame last night when when Lynn Ann said, you know, I want to thank this group for letting me coach them hard, which I don't think is is something that you find everywhere. You, you're not mm -hmm. necessarily going to have a group who's going to say, well, man, you know, coach, coach, you got to turn it down like, you know, half a notch. I know it's your first year and you want to make a mark and all that, but like, stop, like easy. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying here, you know, whatever. But that's what coaches want. They want to push you to your limits and somewhere beyond. And and sometimes, you know, it's not always roses and, and chocolates trying to do that. Um, you know, and I think you you see this team and you watch them play and you look at what they've done throughout the course of the year. The fact that they're getting better here as we get into March, the fact that the results are, are better here suggests that they've grown over time. Um, you know, and when you have four first-year players in your rotation, and realistically, you're only playing seven. Um, you know, Megan Bodzi only got off the bench for a little bit uh, against UMass Lowell, but it was primarily seven players. Four of those first-year players, um, you know, Mancini, Gonzalez, Nia Scott, uh, and Martina Boba. You really didn't have much time to put this together last offseason. To have a foundation that strong going forward, uh, to have a group who, you know, you've assembled in, in that way and, and you know, to think about what else you might be able to recruit to help that group in the future. Um, that's really interesting to to me. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think I undersold the 
the the youth too as scott and boba are you're totally right you know solid pieces in your rotation i mean you're starting five last night is three freshmen two seniors like that's yeah that speaks to the two buttons that you've pushed right which is your young players have played well and developed as the season has gone on and your older players have bought in and have laid the groundwork you know, no matter if they are going to have a, an extra year or not, um, you know, they have really laid the groundwork here in year one. So means everybody, no matter the age or experience, has bought into this coaching staff, and that's a tribute to the staff. So, Brian, uh, they go to NJIT for their season finale. That's on Saturday. Um, NJIT is, is playing to get into the America East tournament. Uh, they're tied at the bottom with New Hampshire right now. So that's that's a game that they need. Um, you know, it's not one that Bryant needs for the standings. It's certainly one that Bryant would like to have to extend their momentum into sure. the conference tournament. If you could say that you've won six out of seven, you go in, you host Binghamton. It's a team you've swept. You've beaten them twice. Um, you would hope that the chase, you draw a big crowd next Friday. You, you get the students out. Um, you know, you manage to, to turn that into something of an atmosphere, um, you know, and then you've got a free shot either at Albany or at Maine. Uh, you know, it's a game that no one's going to expect you to win. You're going to look and say these top three teams were separated from Bryant by you know multiple games. Who really cares? They're just in the tournament to be here. It's going to be nice and whatever. You get to play in a conference tournament semifinal in your first year as a head coach. Um, you know, and in, in a roster that went nine and twenty-one last season and three and thirteen in the league. You're talking about major steps forward as a program, something you can sell to recruits in the transfer portal, um, you know, to your own fan base going forward. So I I don't underestimate just how important the, this year has been and and you know how noteworthy the results have been here. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, the Bryant men will also be playing an America East tournament quarterfinal at home. I think that'll be on Saturday. Uh, you know, opponent to be determined. Uh, we were looking at Brian as maybe a team who could host a semifinal, maybe something a little more, um, you know, just a couple short weeks ago. But the schedule turned on the Bulldogs, and, and Fortunes did as well. Uh, Brian has lost three in a row at the absolute wrong time. They've been swept by UMass Lowell, home and away, and they lost at Vermont. Uh, so they've been swept by the Catamounts as well. Uh, currently, Bryant is third in America East, Vermont in first, a two-game lead over UMass Lowell. Those are now the top two seeds in the America East tournament field. Uh, Bryant currently third, two games ahead of New Hampshire. They've swept New Hampshire, um, so I would imagine that locks them into the third spot going forward. Um, the Bulldogs lost at UMass Lowell on Thursday night, 89-67. Um, that ultimately has has pushed them into this third spot. Uh, you know, interesting, Coit, from the standpoint that, you know, it could have been so much more, I guess. But if you want to go back to the preseason, Bryant was picked third behind these two teams. For once, the coaches got it right. Vermont, UMass, Lowell, Bryant in that order. Um, I don't know if they had New Hampshire fourth. They may have. I don't know. Um, you know, but you, you look at Bryant, you think, Two weeks ago, we were having a discussion about whether or not they they could go to Vermont and maybe somehow steal a one seed, yeah. um, you know, or put themselves in position where they could be the two seed. And 
ultimately that has not come to fruition. Um, you know, Bryant still will host a playoff game. They'll go to UMass Lowell most likely if they win that playoff game. Um, you know, I would give them a chance in that game. I certainly don't think they're going to get blown out like they did on Thursday. Um, you know, I certainly think that game would be a lot more competitive if you play it again in, in a week or two. Um, you know, but it's been interesting to, to see Bryant sort of struggle a little bit here. And, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, just how they can get themselves out of it uh, as they go to the conference tournament. Yeah. A um, couple things. So, you know, I think we talk about momentum and, you know, wanting to be playing well and, and feeling good going into the postseason. Um, this this is gut check time for for Bryant. Uh, they had a three game stretch here where they could could have done a lot of work in trying to get up to, you know, maybe even the top seed in America East, and it it hasn't gone well. They've they got swept by UMass Lowell, and they lost at Vermont, and so you're locked in at three seed, and you're you know you're gonna get a quarterfinal game at home, which is good, but now you've got to travel twice, um, and in particular, you know you. You got your shot at the two other heavyweights in the league, and you know you got knocked down, you know a few times. So, um, you know things to to look at. Um, you know the road has gotten harder, but you know you'll see if they can they can bounce back from it. Um, I was not pleased watching the game Thursday night as to how it was officiated. Now, Here we go, look, folks. Here we go. Buckle look, up. Look, look. I get it. Bryant and and the, the, there's a reputation there. There is. There's a reputation there for, you know, this team, this program for, you know, being emotional, you know, and I think a lot of these guys wear their emotions on their on their sleeves. You can see it. Um, you know, there's been instances during the season where, you know, that has gotten them into some unfortunate situations. Going to Maine, you know, Sharif Gross-Bullock gets in foul trouble because he gets a tech. Like, there's, there's, there's been situations. But if there's six technical fouls in a college basketball game, there better damn well be punches thrown. <laughs> there better damn well have been punches thrown. Seriously. Seriously, BK. And I didn't see a punch. I didn't see one freaking punch. I didn't see one I, I was I yes, the score was lopsided. It should not have been that lopsided. I, I if you're gonna call technical fouls in a game with some meaning and, and importance and give away points to the other team. The calls better be justified, and Daniel Rivera giving a little a little shove to Yuri Covington and getting called for a technical foul early on in that game. That's terrible, terrible. Change the momentum. UMass Lowell goes on a 16-0 run, and the fact that and it's I'm a lot of it went towards Bryant's direction, but I thought the the officials both ways lost control of the game. Lost Tony Chiazza was was the official in this game. Lost control of the game. I'll say his oh. name. They lost control. Oh, the, the fact that Gross Bullock, Timberlake, and Covington for UMass Lowell got in foul trouble in that game takes away from the whole game. It's physical. It's going to happen. It's going to be chippy. You lost control. You teed up Chris Cole and throw him out. I don't know what he said. I don't know what he said. I'd be interested to talk to him and see what he said. But like, what the heck are we doing? Totally marred the game, and and I'm disappointed in that officiating crew for the way it was handled. Do I think it would have changed the result of the game? No, I don't think so. I think UMass Lowell 
won the game handily and and proved that they deserved to win that night. And, you know, they were hitting shots there. Bryant lost a little bit of momentum in the first half. Um, you know, it just it, it is what it is. Um, but I, I, I just I had to turn it off because it was like this is this is terribly officiated. You're ruining the game completely. So there you go. There's my officiating rant. You feel better? I had to get it out. That was it was terrible. I know. I know. Terrible, Bill. Terrible. You're outstanding, Coit. It's why we love you. Oh my God. It's why we love you. Six tax, man. Not Please. great. Not not what you're looking for in a game like that with real stakes. Certainly. That's what I'm saying. Real stakes there. And then they called one at the end of the first half, which I didn't even see it. I think it was on Covington. It was on UMass Lowell. And it's like what are we doing? What are we doing? Like, stop. Yeah. yeah. Stop. Like, you got to let a little bit go here. You got to let a little bit go. And they didn't. It was just T, T, T. Like, come on, guys. Not great. Not great. Not what you're looking for in a high-stakes game like that, certainly. Um, you know, Bryant against UMass Lowell, Coy, it, maybe we're just going to look at this and say that UMass Lowell is a bad matchup for Bryant. Uh, totally. You know, they totally are. Two for 18 from three. UMass Lowell is a top five three-point defense in the, in the nation. Um, you look at the Bulldogs, and, and when they make perimeter shots, it's like oxygen for them. Um, yeah. You know, but for some reason, they 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 get up against UMass Lowell, and it just does not work. You, The front court, really, for the Riverhawks, didn't do a lot of damage last night. Max Brooks and, and Cam Morris really didn't hurt them. It was Quentin Mincy who had 26 off the bench, and then Covington who cooked them again. He had 25. He was really good in the game at uh, Smithfield earlier on when they played. Um, you know, he's been a, a real handful for them. Um, you know, as Phil Martelli said, after the loss of the chase, he he's one of those sort of rhythm players, you know, like one of those spark plug guys where once he gets going, he's hard to cool off. Yeah. Um, and you got to sort of keep him down from the start. Um, you know, and you could see it in the second half of the game that they played here. He really got it going early in the second half. And it was like, Oh, here he goes. And I think he had 17 of his 27 in, in the second half of that game. Um, so for whatever reason, they, they have struggled with Lowell, um, you know, and a lot of times it, it comes down to matchups and, and whether or not Brian is going to be able to unlock something uh, before a potential semifinal meeting uh, against the river Hawks, who knows? We'll see. They've got a couple weeks here to figure it out. They've got a couple games left at home, NJIT and Albany, to try to figure it out. Um, you know, I don't I don't think that's enough time to do any sort of mythical image rehab, uh, you know, as it concerns the guys wearing the stripes. Um, you know, I think if if you're Bryant, you you know, your emotion is part of what makes you good. It's part of what makes you competitive. It's also something that in a game like this, you've got a little bit of a reputation and fairly or unfairly, they take it out on you. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any way really to change that. I, I mean, you know, we, we talk to Phil and, and Chris Cole all the time. Are, are they the most likely to get technical fouls? I just like, if you're going to call a tech on a coach, like probably Phil, not right. Let him get his money's worth. Yeah. Before you throw a second one at him. Like, yeah, right. Right. Come on. Well, that like, that's the baseball player in you. And I agree. Like, totally. You know, you're you're gonna miss a call in the middle of a game. You gotta let me have my say here. Yes. Amen. Right? 
And I don't okay. even, it didn't even sound like he said much. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I didn't hear it. I wasn't there. So maybe he said something. The magic maybe word? It was, maybe he was war warned. Mm -hmm. Like maybe the bench got a warning. Like that, that stuff happens too. I get that. But again, six technical fouls. And, and it just, it gives free points to the other team. It's, yeah. that's the free points in a possession. So it's basically two possessions. Like that's just, that's a joke. But, the reason that they lost, you're right, is Mincy went off early on in that game, found his shot. Uh, Covington was really good. And the box score doesn't doesn't show it, but Brooks is a bad matchup for Bryant. He's a bad matchup because of his length. Yeah. He had a couple of plays defensively on Earl Timberlake that not many players in the league can guard him that way, can block a shot by Earl Timberlake because of his no. sheer strength. Very athletic. And, yeah, and so UMass Lowell has that. So they have the pieces. They are a bad matchup for Bryant. And so that's that's the disappointing part. That's why they won the game. Should it have been as lopsided final score-wise as it probably was? Probably not because of stated reasons. Um, you know, so things to look at here. I th I think it I think this this matchup is more like the matchup we saw in Smithfield. Uh, which was close down the stretch. UMass Lowell obviously goes on that run. They've got a little experience, you know, closing out games the way that they did in Smithfield on that late run. So uh, I, I expect there to be a, a third part of this saga between these two teams. Uh, hopefully it's a different officiating crew that can actually handle a situation like this. <laughs> oh, baby. Yep. <laughs> Coit is Coit's uh, into his postseason saltiness here. Yeah, baby. It just is March. You, clearly, just telling you, telling you what I think. That's it is all. March. Coit is heightened. Yep, he's heightened. Yep, senses, senses, his fighty senses are tingling here. It's disappointing for that crew because it should have been better. But should have been better. You had Tony yep. Chiazza and Greg Evans. They're the two yep. top sixty-five officials. You you would have yep. thought. You would have had an expected level of performance, let's say. Yep. Uh, which clearly did not happen. Yep. Um, that's enough of that. Anyway. Yep, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> anyway. uh, so, Coit, where are you going to be this weekend? Uh, well, I'll be at Brown tonight on the sideline for the broadcast. Yeah. Uh, I will probably pop over to the AMP tomorrow uh, for that one. Ian will have the full coverage. Yeah. Um, and then... I'll be at Brown Dartmouth tomorrow as well. May pop into the women's games as well, too. So in between, there'll be a radio show and uh, a couple interviews and state swimming across the way from the Pizzatola Center as well. So busy couple of days here coming up, but very much looking forward to it. Going to have big implications, and it'll sort of map out what our march is going to look like here. You know, wins or losses are going to determine what, what things look like the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, one of the best parts of the sports calendar around here. Certainly my favorite part of the sports calendar around here is we get into March. Um, you know, we get into the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. It, it is my favorite time of year for sure uh, from a work perspective. And, you know, ranks high on my list from a, a personal perspective as well. Um, you know, because all you want to see are, are games that are passionate, that people care about, that are competitive, um, that have real stakes like we talked about. Uh, and, and we are going to be seeing – 
a series of those here over the next two or three weeks involving our local teams. Um, and that makes it fun. Quite. That makes it fun for sure. Yes, it does. Yep. Um, so we would encourage folks if, uh, you know, you get Friday, Saturday, if you've got some time, you know, get out and try to catch some of these, uh, because they are going to be interesting and they are going to be compelling in, in their own ways. Um, and they are going to mean a lot to the people who are playing in them. Certainly. Um, so with that, Coity, thank you as always. Um, I will see you on the sidelines for sure. Sounds good. Thanks, it's March. For, it's March. Thanks for listening, folks. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.